Welcome, everybody, to The Called, the new show from First Fisherman Media, um, with my um, my a partner in crime always, Pete Tamayo. And we have we are blessed to have Mother Maria Catherine here of the Parish Visitors of Mary Immaculata. And we're going to hear her vocation story today. So we are very blessed. But before we do, we'd like to always begin in prayer. So I don't know if, Pete, you'd like to uh, start us in prayer, and then we'll, we'll hear... What what took um, Mother from where she was to where she is today? Uh, uh, a um, Brooklyn, Brooklyn Italian girl. And took <laughs> <her> to her, <laughs> uh, just chatting with Mother a little bit um, before we got started here. I do not want to take over the prayer when we have a religious with us. So no, are you sure? I'm positive. Okay. In the name of the Father oh. and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, our mother. To thee we come, before thee we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer us. Amen. 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 Our Lady of Fatima. Pray Pray for for us. Pope John Paul II. Pray Pray for for us. us. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I'm so, so excited. We, there are smiles in the room right now. Yeah, very, we're all very, very excited. excited. For this. New show, and we have um, a very, very special guest. So, Mother, we'd love to, um, the purpose of this show, as we spoke about before, is just to hear your vocation story. Um, and the goal is of the called is to catalog as many vocation stories in our archdiocese and the local area outside of it as well. Um, that we can, because uh, we'd like to hear that we'd like to to humanize the religious in a way that we believe that today there's a there's a there's a barrier between the the sort of public mm-hmm. and religious. They they think there's like some distinction. They might not feel comfortable coming up and mm-hmm. talking to someone dressed in a habit or in a in a monk's. Um, uh, it's called a habit as well. Yes. For monks, okay, yeah, so. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, you know, and, and so this, the idea of the podcast is that this will give people a less threatening way to hear about you and, and uh, why you became a, monk, uh, a nun. Monk? And, I'm sorry, a nun. <laughs> sorry, I had a monk in my head. A nun. And so please, sister, I'll get out of the way and, and tell us about, I'm sorry, mother, um, tell okay. us about uh, your history. It's okay. Eventually I'll be a sister. I'm still a sister. Mother or sister. Some people call me mother, sister. <laughs> what I'm do just we so refer used to, to saying appropriately. What is the? Is it? It's mother. Right, mother it's mother. It's right, mother. It's mother. Right. Here, right now, and it's mother Maria Catherine. Catherine okay. Yes. yes. Um, Are we know, allowed to ask your 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 real name or your given name? That's my it? name. So my name is Maria Catherine. I was my baptismal name is Maria Conchetta. Okay. And Catherine yeah. is my confirmation name. Uh, we take our baptismal names uh, when we enter. If you don't have a form of Mary in your name, then we add it in some form. But I already had Mary in my name, so I kept it. And I didn't really like Conchetta because that was my sister's name, and I didn't want to have my sister's name. <laughs> so I asked permission to use my confirmation name, and I was given permission. So that's why it's Maria Catherine. See, we are humanizing because <laughs> we're you're just a normal sister in a family. <laughs> not sister, not religious sister, just a sister in a, right. in a family. I love my sister, but I didn't like the name Conchetta. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Now that's an Italian name. <laughs> it I is, love yes, it. yeah. yeah. Um, Andrew, you were saying about um, the distance or the uh, how some people uh, don't find it easy to speak to religious or um, priests or brothers. What's interesting is the girls will never speak to the nuns. The guys always speak to the nuns. Really? Yes. And the girls will speak to the priests, but not the boys. They won't speak to the priests. It's, there's something in there. How do you account for that? I haven't figured it out in all these almost 50 years of religious life. I don't know. But when I used to go to, uh, when I was in college, I was a, a sister. And honestly, the, I would try to get vocations, but the girls wouldn't speak to me. The guys were always chatting. And I said, this is something strange with this. I don't like this. These girls don't want to talk. But, but I think it, they think you want to draw them in. And maybe they're not ready. And so they stay far away from you. So. Mother, that struck a chord with me just now as we were chatting and I was sharing mm-hmm. with you that I married my high school sweetheart and mm-hmm. we have these seven beautiful children. It's so interesting for us to watch it and this marriage and family dynamic and and um, and what it helps Trish and I understand is that boys are always, even grown boys, more attracted to that because there's that motherly or grandmotherly mm-hmm. aspect to mm-hmm. it. And maybe a lot of, you know, girls or grown girls are attracted to man because of that fatherliness of you love your father, That's you know, true. to death. And I don't know, mm-hmm. maybe it's like a safety there for both mm-hmm. for both mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the men and the yeah. ladies that maybe girls find safety in there. You know, in a fatherly mm-hmm, figure mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and guys, and I, at least I know I do, <laughs> you know. I never thought of that, yeah. but that's a good take. Yeah, and there's mm-hmm. no challenge there. Like a that's boy right. and his father, there's definitely a little bit of a, you know, of a bumping of heads, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm, oftentimes. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so that's nice. Or a girl could could easily feel threatened, you know, like mm-hmm, you were just mm-hmm, describing, you know, mm-hmm. that there might be some like inlaid pressure or something. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's interesting. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought that until you said it. Mm-hmm. So... You want to hear about my vocation Absolutely. story? Yeah. That's why we're here. <laughs> yes. Well, Floor thank you. Yours. Really, thank you for having me. I'm very grateful and privileged to be with the both of you and uh, to do this for the Archdiocese because I love the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. Even though I'm from Brooklyn, I love Brooklyn, but I'm from the Archdiocese. I mean, I love the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. Where is the order based from, Mother? New York City. It is. Okay. We were founded in the Archdiocese of New York. Okay. Mm-hmm. But you still... Share uh, an affinity for our archdiocese. I do. Here in I yeah. really do. Uh, I loved Bishop Archbishop Chapu. Mm. Amazing. Um, he, We're going to get him on our other show. Oh, great. We're going to get him. Yeah, he wanted us uh, to work in his diocese when he was in Denver, but we could not uh, at that point send anyone. Um, then when he came here and it worked out that God was bringing us here, he was so happy to welcome us, and he was always so kind. So I just, and the Archdiocese of Philadelphia really is right out there in evangelization, and I think it's wonderful. So there's, yeah, I feel a great affinity for the Archdiocese. Praise God. So thank you. How many are there of you? In the community, whole congregation? Mm-hmm. Um, I th- about 60 of us. Total. Total. And when was the order founded? 1920 in uh, New York City. So this is relatively new as a... 100 years. Yeah. Plus one. Yeah. yeah two. Two. And how many are there of you uh, at a mother? Is it just one mother superior of all 60? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you are the, oh my goodness, well, you're an extra special. That's what they tell me. 
<laughs> I know that makes you least in the uh, in the religious world. The servant is, of the servants. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Sorry, I wanted to get a little like understanding of the order, mm-hmm. and I can't wait in in a little bit later to talk about the actual charism of the you know. But yeah, if mm-hmm. you don't mind, share with us a little okay. like when sure. when did you be um, when did, when you did go I on? think about mm-hmm. it? Um, when I was very young, I wanted to be a sister. And How young? I I don't remember, to be honest with you. I've tried to remember. It could have been like four or five, uh, just before I went to school. And I went to Catholic school, so there were sisters in the school, and that just really attracted my heart. Um, so I, as far back as I can remember, I wanted to be a sister. But then I got to the seventh grade, and I discovered there was something like boys, you know? (laughs) As will happen. So that kind of changed my direction, you see? Um, And I forgot about being a sister. Then when I was in high school, just, mm, I think I was a freshman in high school, was when the Vatican Council finished, and things were changing in the church. I also went to a Catholic high school, and I went into the ninth grade, and we were te- they were teaching us religion every day, and we had a priest come in every week, and all of a sudden, that changed. We were not having the priest come in every week, and the religion that we were taught was very different. Um, I remember as a sophomore, we walked into religion class, and Sister had the desks in a circle. And I said, what's that? You know, and then she gave us each this box of little pamphlets. And she said, now today we're going to start learning about love according to West Side Story. Okay. What does that have to do with being Catholic? (laughs) So... In my mind, my uneducated mind, I said, well, maybe it doesn't matter. And maybe it doesn't matter anymore if I go to Mass. So I just kind of started falling away. And I stopped. Well, I didn't. Yes, I did stop going to Mass. But what I would do, because my mother would be upset if I didn't go to church. So on a Sunday morning... I would go to the church, look in, see which priest was saying Mass. So okay, I know how long that priest talks. Then I went to the park. I didn't do it. I just went to the park just by myself, stayed there, enjoyed the park, went back to the church, got the bulletin, went home, and gave the bulletin in, you know, like I, like, like I was there. Just said, oh, yeah, I have a feeling my mother knew I wasn't there, but she didn't mm. ever ask me. She just said, who said the Mass? Oh, Father so-and-so. Uh, what did he talk about? Ah, he was so boring, I didn't pay attention. So that went on for a while, but then I didn't like lying to my mother, so then I just stopped going at all. And um, my mother said, you're an atheist. Said, no, I'm not an atheist. I believe in God, but I just don't see the point of going. And then I just fell away. I never stopped praying. I pray. I was a good Catholic Italian girl, so I prayed mm-hmm. at night. Every night I said my three Hail Marys just to make sure that our Blessed Mother would take care of me no matter what. Um, but for, I think it was about eight years, so that was 
high school until I was 21 or 22, probably 22. Uh, I was no longer going to church. I was not, um, I was praying, but that was it. I really wasn't living my Catholic faith at all. Um, I had a job. I had a boyfriend. I had a nice car, money, so I was fine. And then one day, I was playing hooky from school. I'm from work, and I was watching television. You know, I grew up in the 50s, so we love TV. And I saw this movie. I didn't know what it was about, but I saw this guy dressed in funny brown robe. And I said, hmm. And he really took my attention. And I was watching. And I remember I got up. You know, you remember where you were on 9-11? I remember that day. I got up from my chair, went to the kitchen, and I said to my mother, I don't know who that guy is on the TV, but whoever he is, I want to live like him. It was St. Francis of Assisi. Wow. Yeah. And that began my conversion. And I, um, and I also began not feeling happy with my life and with what I was doing. My mother was very happy, on the other hand, and she was very involved in the church. And I said, she and I didn't have nice friends. I said, hmm, she has good friends. Maybe I should start going to church just to get friends. So that was my kind of little thing on the side. Um, but then I knew I needed to do something with my life. So I shared that with one of the sisters who was a good friend of our commu- of our family. She said, you need to go to confession. I said, oh, man, are you serious? <laughs> I said, no, I, sister, I don't know. Don't worry, I'll come with you. Oh, but sister, I, you know, I will come with you. I said, all right. Meet me. You know, she said, I'll come to your house and we'll go. I said, all right. So the night we planned, it was pouring rain. And it was seven blocks from, the, from her convent to my house. She'll never come. Good. I'm going out tonight. I'm not going to confession. So I got in the car. I was pulling away from the curb. And who comes walking down the block but sister? I said, Is she serious? I guess she's serious. So I pulled back in. Sister, come in. I said, I didn't think you would come. Oh, no, I told you I would come. So there we went. I went to confession. And when I came out of the confessional, I knew I was going to be a sister. It was like that confession brought back my vocation. But I just needed to know where. And I believed, because it was through St. Francis that I came back to the church, that God wanted me to be a Franciscan. So at that point, I was going to a charismatic prayer group. Um, And so did I know that the priests in my parish were Capuchins? Franciscans, there you go, how God had it all arranged. So the brother who led the uh, prayer group helped me to find out and to try and discern. I said, oh, I want to be a Franciscan. I think I should be a Port Clare. Oh, I don't think so. I don't think you have that vocation. No, yes. I, I want to be just in pray. I want to go. I want to be a Port Clare. All right. So we investigated. I came out. I said, I don't think so. That's for me. That's not for me. But anyway, through the process. Um, Do you mind if, yeah, can we ask what oh, sure. what was it about it? Because it's interesting that you can be called into religious life like you're describing, which is beautiful, by the way. And um, because it's also normal. Everything you're 
just describing, you know, about mm-hmm. your life. But anyway, um, you can be called in there, but have a different calling within the calling. So what was it about? The, the poor Claire's? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't join them. I just went to see. Yeah, and when you did that, what was it that you didn't feel? I didn't feel that I, that God, so when I really understood that God was calling me to religious life, I knew that he was calling me. All I wanted to do was to tell people how much God loved them and to draw them to love him. That really was what I wanted. Uh, that's what I thought he wanted me to do. When I went to the poor Claire's, they're cloistered. Mm. And I didn't think that that was where I was being called to to pray. I mean, I was being called to pray, but I didn't think that he didn't want me out with people. Yes. So that's what made me realize this probably wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Later on in my religious life, I again felt a call to be a contemplative, a, a cloistered contemplative. And I went back to the same brother, and I said, you know, I really think, he said, no, that's not where God wants you. I said, you know, you're right. After discerning, I said, no, mm-hmm. you're right. Um, because we as parish visitors are contemplative missionaries, but it's a contemplative for the street. What is, how, is that, how does that work if you're a contemplative but also out in the world? Uh-huh. How does that work? So contemplative means to have a very deep life of prayer which we do. And when we were founded in 1920, our foundress, her whole vision was to really be a woman of deep prayer and intimate union with Christ. At that time in the church, um, religious prayed, but they didn't spend an exorbitant amount of time in prayer as we do today. Like there was no, many communities were teachers or nurses. So they didn't have time to spend holy hours and hours in adoration. But what was unique about us at the time was we were, it was built into our rule that we were to have a holy hour of adoration every day, Mm. which other communities didn't do. And mother said, we should have at least three hours of prayer before we go into the parish. So you would have your morning meditation, you would have mass, you would have your office, you would have your holy hour, and time. Also, we have a rule of silence and recollection, so that when we're not in the parish or we're not doing things that we have to do to speak, we're quiet. And that is in order for us to be intimately united with Christ who dwells within so that we can bring him to the mm. street. So you, when you're in your convent, you don't speak to one another unless you have to. Right. Got wow. It. Interesting. This is beautiful. Ideally. <laughs> Ideally, right. So there's, there's, some, there's some naughty sisters that... <laughs> anyway, so um, I got it. This makes so much sense, yeah. by the way. We have Sister Mary Lucia with us at the parish. Arch, yeah, at the Archdiocese and, and at the parish in, mm-hmm. in um, Clifton Heights in Delaware County. And... Mm-hmm. It, she, she, you can see it. She just exudes your your charism she and does. all of your. Oh, this totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. I'm not surprised at all. <laughs> so there's a preparatory, contemplative part of your life, and yes. then there's an. So you sort of fuel up That's with right. the Lord. That's right. And then you go take that. And so the idea was like, we can't be out all the time without because um, our so, tank may get right. Empty, so exactly. Right. So we have to. Yeah, we have to. You yeah. know, it's funny that, that I've been I. I'm blessed to live near the Sisters of Life, and oh, they have wonderful. a similar. So I go to their to their convent for adoration, 
and they have the similar That's thing right. where they do they do silence for an hour and they have the blessed sacrament and then and obviously mm-hmm. they're working as you are out but this it's a similar combination yes so there's a contemplative piece of what they do as well i don't know if about the silence in, in their mm-hmm. thing but um, that's really interesting. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Continue. No, that's okay. Mother. I'll just re- refer back to what you just said about the Sisters of Life. Um, Colonel O'Connor, who was their founder, had a great love for our community. And when he was beginning the Sisters of Life, he wanted their spirit to be similar to ours. So he asked us to be their formators. Stop. So our congregation oh. was the first formators of the Sisters of Life. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. They lived at our mother house. Really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Me and Pete have a very strong affinity with yes. the Sisters of Life. We're big fans. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. now your order. You just right, hooked right. us. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, you hooked us. Yeah. So there's – okay, so the, to go back to um, what you were saying, so you, you, you felt not called to the complete cloistered, cloistered life mm-hmm. because there's no mixing with the, the people, mm-hmm. and you felt mm-hmm. called to share God's love mm-hmm. with – the people, but also needing to do that in a mixed way. So you mm-hmm. have a contemplative part of your life as well as an active yes. amongst the people. So, Yes. Uh, so I started my search, and I wrote to about 50 different communities, and everything came back, and I wasn't, nothing fit. I did not know about our community. And I said, well, but I think God wants me to be a Franciscan. So I found this Franciscan community, and I started visiting them, and they were, a lot of them were nurses, but I knew God wasn't calling me to be a nurse or a teacher. Somehow I knew that it, I had to be some way else with people, but not nursing and teaching. So they said, well, we do catechetical work. I said, oh, okay, I, that's what I'm doing right now. So yes, I can do that. So they accepted me. I, was, I filled out everything. I was ready to enter. I had the date and everything. And They called me one night. The vocation director called and said, okay, so this is your date for entering. Uh, What we're going to do is you're going to live in our um, hospital place, and you're going to be a secretary, and the, 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 sister, I am a secretary by profession. I don't think I want to enter the convent and be a secretary, and I certainly don't want to live in a hospital. I don't think I can come. (laughs) <laughs> both she and I were just, I just couldn't go I knew it so I ended that that night was a prayer meeting night and I was so dejected so I went to the prayer meeting I got there early and I was sitting between two nuns about how old are you right now like I at was that time 20 23 mm. 23 so at the prayer meeting there were these two nuns I knew them because they were at the prayer meeting every week One I knew was in the school. The other one, I didn't know what she did, but she was there. So I went, and I was so dejected. And she's sitting next to me. She was on my right. What's the matter with you? So I told her my whole sad story. And I said, Sister, what community do you belong to? Well, I'm a parish visitor of Mary Immaculate. Really? What do you do? So she explained what they did. You mean to tell me, I've been sitting next to you in this prayer meeting for the last year, and I never knew what you did, and that's what God wants me to do. (laughs) She said, really? I said, yes. Do you want to come to see our vocation director? Yes. So she took me, and as soon as I walked in the door, I knew. Really? This is where I want to be. 
You got yes. that feeling like after the confession where you just I knew. You felt it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It wasn't after spending a day. It was walking no, through walking the door. Walking through the door. As soon as I met the sisters, I knew. Wow, I didn't have to do uh, anything. That's I, powerful. I went home and told my spiritual director. I said, no, you have to investigate. No, no, I'm sure this is where God wants me. Uh, well, why don't you just go for, you know, take a little more time. Well, all right, but this is where God wants me. And it's true. As I spent more time with the sisters, I just knew that's where God wanted me. Here I am. That is And how many beautiful. people were in the, how many sisters were in the community at that time? Oh, we were over 100 sisters. Yeah. A uh, sister took me, the vocation director was living in the Bronx. So that's where I went. I went to the Bronx. And I found out later that this sister, her name was Sister uh, Marie Therese, that introduced me to the community. She said she had been working in my parish for many years, and she prayed that before she died, she would have one vocation for that kiss. And that was me. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And I was privileged to be a novice when she passed away, so I was there when she passed away. Yeah. How long was your novitiate program? Two two years. I was a postulant for a year and a novice for two years. And to explain to people what that means, a postulant, how would you describe what's the different stages of your particular religious vocation? So a postulant is a young woman who enters religious life, and it's a time of kind of um, moving away from the life she's been immersed in to take on this new life. So it's a transition, if you would want to call it that, transition. So it's she's not discerning, really, a discernment. She's still discerning, yes. And it's not really, you're not, postulancy is not considered religious life. Uh, it's the it's like the still discerning. You're, in the, you're in the waiting room. You're in the waiting room, yes. Not the departure lounge, but <laughs> right. the waiting room. <laughs> Going to wait in to go see the doctor. <laughs> Yeah, and you get to see, you know, and experience religious Like the airport lounge. Mm. Yeah, I don't know, I've never been in the airport (laughs) lounge. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, to see and experience and to kind of, again, as you said, discern, is this really where God is calling me? Maybe, maybe not. And on on the part of the young woman and the community, there's still that discernment, you know. Uh, And then once you... There, there comes a point when you know this is like this is not for me, or this is for me. Is there a set period of time, or is it generally, hey, it's this your postulancy will, will last one to three years? No, no, no. It, yeah, there's there's a period of time, but um, so our in our community, it's like between three nine months, maybe a year. Okay, depends. so not that long. It depends on the person. So, for example, you could have a young woman who maybe was in another community, and she enters your community. Well, certainly she doesn't need to learn a lot about religious life, but she needs to learn a little more about about your your community. community. So she may not have as long a postulancy as another young person. So it all depends. Mine was a year um, because my... The, the sister who was going to be the novice director was studying in Rome to be a novice director. So I had to wait till she came home. So I was there for a year. And you're given a novice director. There's some other sister within the community that sort of manages the postulants. And novices, yes. And novices, mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. And what, in your experience, what percentage of postulants go on to join the community? Um, 
I don't know. It's hard. I'm not good at math. But no, but um. <laughs> is it most people? Do you expect most postulants to join, or do you say, "Well, it's a coin flip. I don't know. We'll see." Uh, sometimes it's half and half, you know. And sometimes they'll enter into the novitiate and they get through, and you don't get through the novitiate. You can kind of, like, after about maybe six months, kind of know, "Wow, I don't think this woman has what it takes mm-hmm. either to be a religious or." A parish visitor. She may have a vocation to religious life, but not your community. So when I was novice director, I had at one point three novices. And it was clear to me that one of them had a religious vocation, but was not called to our community. She was a tremendous teacher. And we don't teach in schools, but I felt she had a vocation to be a sister in a Catholic school. And she was experiencing some difficulty with our own vocation. So I said, nah, this girl doesn't belong here. So we discerned. I helped her to discern a vocation to a teaching community. And she's a very happy sister in a school today. Yes. So she didn't make it through the full when I knew that it just wasn't a fit for her. And you kind of can tell when you're going through because you're with them all the time. That's nice for young people who are listening. Um, a lot of this we want um, – the goal of this podcast, as Andrew was saying, a lot of this is to reach youth um, mm-hmm, also. Mm-hmm. So it's nice for them to know that if they're feeling that calling, um, like Abbey Fest we just had here in the area. Yeah, I you heard. Know, Too bad I couldn't come, but sister said it was wonderful. It is, Mother, and you'll have to come you know, in the future. And at one point, um, Archbishop brought up – uh, any if there's any young men out there that are possibly feeling you know you don't have to know just to, that you possibly feel something in your heart and um, so many young men went up and men including again. Pete's son <laughs> one of his sons is uh, nice. discerning a calling yeah it just happened for him uh, so um, and then the young women of course also and so it's nice for them to hear this and know that if they're feeling that in their heart, there's no pressure. I can just go in mm-hmm. and enter that introductory period and see mm-hmm. what God wants mm-hmm. to do with that. And mm-hmm. then I have someone. I have, you know, a novitiate director who will help me with my discernment mm-hmm. and all that. Mm-hmm. It's really, that's good, you know, really mm-hmm. good to mm-hmm. hear. Mm-hmm. Amen. And I always believe, for me, I always believe that it's not about, I mean, you want vocations to your own community, but it's not about keeping it's about finding what God wants for that young person. If it's not with your community, well, hey, at least it's for the church. Right. You somewhere. Know? They'll yeah. fit somewhere. Yeah. And if they're not going to be in religious life, at least they've learned so much that will help them in their life as Catholics. Right. Their mm-hmm. married life or single dedicated life to the church. Somehow you're giving them life, you know. Mm-hmm. Like like it says, um, the harvest is, you know, I guess plentiful, but the laborers are few. Yeah. So, yes, we just need more laborers yeah. in the, yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah. So Put you, them somewhere where they fit. It's, mm-hmm. yeah, find mm-hmm. the right fit. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you're, you were pretty clear even in the beginning when you, when you found your community that the, your postulancy was almost a fait accompli like you already knew that you, I, that was the right place for I, you did yeah. that stay this the whole time during your postulancy did you have doubts you're like okay Not i felt during... good on day one but like now i'm in day i'm in month <laughs> six and uh i'm knocking on a bunch of doors and i don't know no, <laughs> Some it people didn't, are no. not as enthusiastic about the lord as i am <laughs> you know not so much through my postulancy even my novitiate maybe during my novitiate 
you know, a couple of times I wondered if this really was what God wanted. It was after I made my first profession when I struggled. Um, and then I was really struggling at one point, and I happened to be on my home visit and went to visit this same brother uh, that was in the prayer group at the beginning. I never told him I was struggling, and he came and he said, let's go to the chapel. So we went to the chapel. He said, I'm going to pray over you. I said, hmm. And then he started saying, well, you know, Lord, she's struggling right now. I said, how does he know? <laughs> how does he know? But he knew, and he knew exactly what I was struggling with because he named it in prayer. Wow. And that ended the struggle. Did it really, from that moment? Yeah, no, well. Okay. Well, that, get into maybe the that next immediate. One. Yeah, it, for one that those, immediate moment. One of those Capuchin brothers? Yes. That, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, at that point, was he, he was still a Capuchin at that point, yeah. He was one of the founders of the Friars of the Renewal, so... Oh, we love Amazing. them. Yeah. And the yeah. CFRs. Yes. Uh, they have mm -hmm. them in Atlantic City also. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, I'm sorry. No, that's okay. And there's Father a wonderful... Fidelis in No, New York? it was Father, uh, Father Robert Stanion, who's one of the founders of the CFRs. We understand um, that there's a wonderful CFR uh, thing that goes on up in New York, and it's um, like Friday nights or Saturday nights, and it's yes. like a like uh, an underground mm -hmm. Catholic underground. Yes, yeah. I heard all about it. The sisters, some of our sisters used to go. Really? What is that? Yeah. Uh, it's for young adults, and it's music and prayer, adoration, uh, just to be together. And the friars lead it, lead it in prayer and song, praise and worship. Mm. Buddy, I said we need to bring that we gotta here bring that. to we gotta, Philadelphia. Yeah, we're trying. So, yeah. We can't let New York. Almost up, like up Abbey Fest, but game. yeah, yeah, no, it's no, almost no, like that Abbey Fest feel, but it's, it's like being the, done on a like weekly Yankees or monthly, thing. monthly. I, I think I think it's monthly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, at this point, you you decided. I'm trying to get a sense of the struggle piece was after your postulancy. So oh, then, sure. then you go into I, a novitiate, which is how long is that period? And what is the novitiate two, program? The two years uh, novitiate is... You've decided uh, you want to do it. Yes. And you be, you receive your habits. You receive your veil. Is it the same habit you have today? Or oh, is it no, a different? No, we changed. We changed. Okay. But is there? But is, does the novitiates wear a different kind of habit, whatever the standard no, we, habit no, is? No, we it's wore the same. same as the sisters. That was during experimentation period. So... You know, it was kind of, uh, how would I say it? We had a habit, but it was different things for different whatever. But finally we ended the experimentation, and then we had a, mm. a, a uniform habit. It wasn't uniform when I was a novice, but I had a veil and a habit. So that was for two years, and... Yeah, I struggled, but it wasn't not that I was going to leave the community. It was learning and being a novice is you learn about the vows, you learn religious life, you learn your particular charism, you learn your apostolate. So you're with your novice director, she gives you classes. Uh, so we learned about the vows of chastity, poverty, and obedience, and what that means and how to live it. I'm sure I, I didn't really uh, learn, you know, you learn the basics, but as you live, then you say, oh, that's what it really means. That's what chastity is all about. That's what obedience means. Mm -hmm. But you learn the basics, what it, what it means. Mm -hmm. Can I live this life? Is this what God is calling me to? You learn about prayer, your prayer life. Um, yes, again, about our apostolate, what it means. You learn about our foundress, uh, her writings, 
uh, and everything that it means to be a contemplative missionary and a, a religious parish visitor of Mary Immaculate through the whole two years. But you also have experience of the apostolate. You go out, you you know, hands-on with different sisters. You may go to another convent and be uh, working with another sister in her apostolate just so that you learn the full gamut of what it's going to mean when you make your vows and what your life is going to be about from now on, mm. you know. Uh, was there a particular one of those three vows that was difficult in your difficulty, like the chastity, obedience, or Oh, yeah, I wanted poverty? to have kids. Okay, so that was the... Was I wanted the, to have nine kids. I love baseball, you know. So, <laughs> I have a whole team. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to have eight boys and one girl. Trisha, do you hear that? We are too <laughs> short right now. Mother says so. <laughs> mother wanted to be a mother. Yeah. That I was did, the re- that I was did, the I one. did. Oh, so wow. that was the difficulty. So, so it's not being poor, it wasn't... Being being obedient to the order, it was, hey, maybe I could have children. Mm. Poverty was a little difficult for me because I had a job before I entered. I had a car. I had, you know, so having to ask, you know, for what I needed, having to ask for money, having to ask, you know, was very difficult for me. But it wasn't as difficult as overcoming the mm. nine kids, you know. Mm. Um, and that proved to be a not a difficulty, but when I was getting ready for making my final vows, um, it was like the night before, I was in a real state, like, I don't think I can do this. Mm. I don't think I have a vocation. <sighs> what am I doing? You know, I really want to have those kids and that husband, you know? So when my director came, so every stage of your formation, you have a director who gets to know you, and who you open up to and who really guides you. Uh, so she came to see me in the morning of my final vows, and I said, I don't think so. <laughs> can, I, can I opt out? <laughs> yeah. Sister, I don't think I can do this. What do you mean you don't think? I don't have a vocation. She looked at me, and there's one thing about me. I have always believed that God speaks through your directors and your superiors. And so I trusted that God's will would always be spoken to me through them. When I was a postulant, I said, well, if God doesn't want me here, he'll send me home. And he never did. <laughs> so I was there. So here I am, my final vows, and my superior, my director, says, no, you're going through a temptation. You know, God, if we didn't think you had a vocation, we would not have let you get to this point. I said, oh, okay. That's how I went to make my final vows, trusting in what she said, not in what I felt, and what I thought. And I went and made my perpetual profession based on that trust. That was 39 years ago, I think. Mm. 1983. What was the yeah. date? September 7th, ni- 17th, 1983. Did it, it change was the immediately? Feast, it was the feast of the stigmata of St. Francis. Mm. So how God took care of me and oh, St. Francis. Wow. Amazing. Did you did it immediately shift for you once you made that final profession or did you remain with this well, I did it, but I'm no. I'm kind of riding on fumes. Right here. after I received holy communion. So you make your vows, then you go on with the mass and then you receive you receive holy communion. Right after holy communion, I came to my pew and I began to weep. And mm. weep because I knew this is where I was, I'm mm. where I belonged, where God wanted me. And that ended it. 
Mm-hmm. Praise God. Yeah. And so could you describe what is the actual vocation? So what you're, the sister, I know you talked a little bit about the contemplative piece. What is the active piece, the vita activa of what you guys are doing? Okay. So just to go back to that contemplative. Can I pause there one moment? Sure. This is so just powerful, whatever adjective you want to add to it. But you said something earlier, and I think that every single one of us can relate to that. You reached out to 50 different orders. You were looking out there. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and meanwhile, you had the nun sitting right next to you right yeah. here, you know, mm-hmm. and and then you oh, I'm getting the chills right now. And then you allowed that him, God, to speak through the others, not what was necessarily your feelings, you know, or the temptations. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. and um, right from the very beginning, you know, and you mm-hmm. trusted the whole way. Mother, it's really, thank you so much for... Oh, thank God, yeah. really, thank God. Oh, it's beautiful. I think so often we look out there, mm-hmm. and we're constantly looking out there, and the answer isn't out there, it's right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's true throughout our lives. I'm not going to say that I'm, you know, I'm so wonderful that I, you know, me and God have this great connection. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I do still look out there. And sometimes you wonder, you know, like, wow. You know, I used to sometimes, I used to, when I was reading the paper, I don't read the paper anymore. When I was reading the paper, I would say, hmm, you know, look at that. I could still get a good job. I could get really paid well. <laughs> Sorry. No, you're fine. <laughs> I was going to say, there's like, I'm hearing something. In my the head. angels. Church <laughs> the angels. Yeah. Like, I'm like, I'm either going insane or somebody's phone is ringing. <laughs> oh, you're fine, mother. So back to what I love the ringtone, by the way. Yeah, very nice. It's a ring. great ring. It's a mm-hmm. perfect ringtone. I was either that Not or... surprised by that. Anyway, <laughs> <but> <laughs> so, Andrew, you were like... headed down, which I really would, um, would like to touch on and have, yeah, is... Um, the, go ahead. Andrew. Yeah. What is your what is what is the act? So we talked about the contemplative piece mm-hmm. of your order and your work. Mm-hmm. What is the active piece? What exactly do you do? Okay. So I want to go back to that contemplative piece a little because sure. Mother said our foundress, Mother Mary Teresa Talon, said that um, our love for Jesus, that we come to that intimacy of love, that we experience in prayer, is is the and we give the overflow of that love when we go out. So they're connected. They're like, you know, holding hands as the contemplative mm. and missionary, and we can't take them apart. Mm. Um, so the, the contemplative love and prayer fuels our missionary apostolate. So I'll give you an example. When I was a junior professed sister, uh, I was going to school full-time, but I was given a little bit of an apostolate to keep me, you know, occupied, not just so heady, but get you know my hands dirty so i was visiting this woman uh, who had mental problem emotional problems so i would go and visit her maybe once every couple of weeks or whatever so this one day i said oh i haven't seen her in a while i'd better go visit her today let me make my holy hour first because we can make our holy hour either before or after we go out so but i like to make it before so i said i'm going to make it and then i'll go so I made my holy hour, and then I went to her house, and she was in bed. She always left the door unlocked. Excuse me. And uh, I went in, and she was in bed. So I went in to her bedroom, and I knelt down because there was not a chair. We started talking, and she said, 
um, something's different about you today. Same me. What's different? I don't know. She said, but there's there's something about your face. There's like a glow. Or she said, you look so peaceful and so happy, almost like you're in love. And then I understood the overflow of the love that we receive when we're with Jesus in prayer. We bring to our apostolate, and that's what people receive. And that was what I always wanted, just tell people how much Jesus loved them. Yes. And so there it was, you know. When was that again? Oh, I was a very young student. You're still a student. Yeah, very young. Yeah, yeah, I was young. uh, Let me see. It must have been my first year after I, so it must have been about 1979, 1980. So that's like a reassurance, like right there. I'm exactly where God wants Mm -hmm, me. mm -hmm. This is what I wanted all along. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so we... Our missionary apostolate is, you know, we're evangelizers. We've been doing the new evangelization for a hundred years before all the terms came out. Uh, we were, uh, our founders began by doing door-to-door evangelization. Uh, why? To find those persons who were away from the church to bring them back, like Pope Francis says to the peripheries. Um, to go to their homes because mother was a teacher for 33 years before she began our community. She was a Holy Cross sister. And it was in that setting where she, her mother's heart really reached out to those kids who were truant, whose families weren't practicing their faith, which meant the children weren't practicing their faith. The children, some of them were very poor um, and they came from very poor backgrounds. In the schools at that time, there was not much of a care for those who were on the peripheries. You know, you had to make sure you had to make sure the kids did their homework. They had to look good. They had to be dressed nice. They had to be good kids, behave. Uh, mother went for the others, always for the others. Um, so, when God called her to begin our community in 1908, she was in New York City. And she believed, as she, God was calling her, he said, I want you to begin a congregation of women that would go out and bring back the lost sheep to the fold. Mm. I love it. <laughs> You're giving me chills again, Mother. Like, do you watch The Chosen or have you heard <gasps> of the... Uh, oh, Mama <laughs> Mia, I'm waiting for season three. <laughs> yes. Uh, so are we, on, impatiently. And when it's what you just described is when Jesus stops and turns around and calls Matthew. Oh, and yeah. when he says, with that surprised look on his face, me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Uh, that's what you just described. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know... Mm-hmm. You're going out to find them, the mm-hmm. periphery, you know? Mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. Is that still what you do to this day? We do, yes. So knocking on doors we in a local community. We knock on doors, and yes. And the whole idea, again, is to bring them back. Now, um, we our name is Parish Visitors of Mary Immaculate, which tells you uh, what we do. So we are invited by the pastor into a parish to visit his people. Whether we do that door-to-door depends on the pastor. He wants us to visit, but it may not be exactly door-to-door. It may be visiting um, families who have just had their children baptized or and have not returned to church, or visiting First Holy Communion, Confirmation, 
visiting the elderly and the sick. Yeah, that's what uh, Sister Mary Lucia does. Right, yes. She spends a lot of time at Watermark yes, in the she local. Does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very mm-hmm. smart because Andrew and I talk about this. One of the sad things in our Catholic Church isn't the fact that there aren't enough Catholics. It's that there aren't enough of us that, you know, have really like that really truly know Jesus Christ and are mm-hmm. in love with him and want to mm-hmm. um, have relationship or a deeper relationship mm-hmm. with him. Mm-hmm. And um, so, of course, we can go way, way out there to try to convert the atheist or, you know, or the the person practicing something else, but just being there for our own that are already baptized mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. bringing them, you know, like back in. <clears throat> mm-hmm. That's a- is, that, is that where you are? It's mostly to Catholics who've fallen away or it's not to people who might be a Muslim or an atheist right. or a Jew or a nothing or a, right. an atheist? It's mostly as to bring back the Catholics, okay. but... That we don't we don't exclude the others. So if we're going door to door, and there's someone there who's not a Catholic, at least when I was doing door to door, I would say, "Oh, what religion are you? Mm-hmm. You know, oh, I'm, uh, you know, I'm a Baptist. And, oh, you're practicing your Baptist faith? Well, no, not really. Really, why is that? You try to draw them to Christ, and sometimes you get people say, "Oh, did?" And I will say, "Did you ever think about being a Catholic?" Uh, sometimes people say yes. Sometimes, no, I never did. Well, would you like to think about it? Here's a bulletin. Here's our uh, Christian initiation uh, you know, classes. Would you like to come and find mm-hmm. out about the church? Yeah. So we don't close them off. Very inviting. You know, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, we in- <laughs> Do you have um, any particular anecdotes from your history of doing this that were particularly powerful for you? Any, any encounters with people where you knocked on their door or you had an encounter with somebody that was really um, where there's a profound um, To be honest, experience? a lot of my um, missionary work in the community has been catechetical. Uh, I have done visitation uh, but also a lot of it was formation work. Uh, I Working with other sisters. Were the training young sisters, yes. And then also I was in Nigeria for six years. Amazing. Yeah, I'd love to hear that story. <laughs> How did that come about? Because that's, that's a parish <laughs> far away. <laughs> <laughs> that was unique. Um, I was at the time vocation director, and I was doing a program in one of our convents, and there was a priest there from Nigeria. And so what we were... What we did was we had young women who were interested in our community come and stay with us for two weeks. And they lived in with us, and then we went out on visitation, et cetera, et cetera. And we were finding a lot of people away from the church who hadn't been to confession like 40, 50 years. So we were inviting them, and they were coming. So this one Saturday, you know, what we do is if they're afraid to come, you say, oh, we'll meet you and, you know, we'll accompany you like sister did for me. Yeah. Yeah, So that's what we do. So uh, I was in the parking lot waiting for some of the people to come and they came and confession was over. And this Nigerian priest came out and he said to me, I don't understand. He said, people came to confession today that haven't been there for 50 and 60 years. I said, why are you so surprised? I said, we've been trying to get them back for the last two weeks. Is that what you do? Yeah. I I need you. We need you in in our diocese. So, oh, Father, we don't have enough sisters to go to your diocese. (laughs) So, you know, no, I must speak to your general superior. So I'll tell her. But, you know, I can tell you, I know we don't have sisters to go. Uh, But can I talk to her? Sure, Father, I'll get her. So she came. They talked. He invited her to his uh, Silver Jubilee in Nigeria the following year. Mm -hmm. 
But she couldn't go, so she asked me to go with another sister. So the two of us went, and it was like, oh, my gosh, I think God wants us to come to Nigeria. We had just become a papal community, so we were asking God if he wanted us to go to another country, and this kind of came. So at the time that we went to Nigeria, two sisters also went to Central America because we were being asked to go there too. So we all came back, and we all gave our reports, and I, American that I am, I knew I could not live in Nigeria, but I knew that God wanted us there. So I, stupid me, said to the superior, if you decide to go and open a mission, I will volunteer. So I didn't hear anything, so I figured they decided not to go. And then one day they called me up and said, um, sister, we decided to go to Nigeria. Did I know she had the whole council listening on the phone for my my response? I said, really? She said, sister, would you like to go? Yes, I'll go. <laughs> so the other sister that had volunteered as well was on the phone. She said, I think we're going. I said, oh, great. So that's how we got there. Two of you went? Two of us, yeah. Oh, my goodness. You just show up in Nigeria? <laughs> no, we had, I mean, we were contacting with Father. So... Um, once they made the decision, they called Father and told him, and then the bishop was so happy, and so he sent us a letter of invitation. We had to go get our visas, you know, you know, da 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 da. It was on the feast of Saint Therese that we got our visa to go to Nigeria. Mother Saint was Therese saying, Saint Therese, Saint Therese, yeah, she got malaria every month she was in Nigeria. Are you kidding? Yeah. Every monthly. Monthly, yeah. And Sister Mary Lucia was there for 10 years. She was there for 10 and years. And she probably got malaria once a month for 10 Probably, years. yeah. Oh, she had my. to leave ultimately because the of The first year was very difficult because Sister and I, the sister who came, Sister Marjorie and I, were sick the whole first year. And the priest was like, did I make a mistake in bringing you here? And, you know, we were wondering if we made a mistake going. Uh, the sister that was with me, she got a lot of different kind of, really different kind of sicknesses. She got measles. She got infection in her fingers, and her nails were coming off. And she also got malaria. I got malaria. I got typhoid. She got, well, it was like the whole first year. Um, but after the first year was over, we went What was on. it like during that first year? Like, how is this what God wants for me to be sick all the time? You know, to be honest with you, I really didn't think about it. I, I never thought of it in those terms. We, we were there, and so we just... Just dealt with it. We just dealt with it, you know? We dealt with it's it. It's interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. day by day, you're like, oh, I'm going to get up and serve again today, right? And <laughs> yeah. it's like, all right, this ailment's in the way. But now looking back on it, it mm-hmm. probably sounds way... Worse what was it. your yeah? What was your experience like in Nigeria? That's an amazing. The people were amazing. They were wonderful. Uh, I will say this: one of the priests there said, "You know, the the people have been catechized, but not evangelized." Mm. And isn't that true? what does that mean? So, in other words, they were baptized. You know, they were taught that what it meant to be a Catholic, but they really weren't. They didn't have a deep faith, a deep relationship with Christ. So they were, were not evangelized. Look at our churches today. Yes. How many people are catechized, Yes. but they don't know Jesus? Yes. They're not evangelized. And Father you know? Mike Schmidt says that. Yeah. He says true. they got the rules. They need the relationship, That's right? right. And That's right. Yeah. So, But the people were wonderful. Their fa- they did have faith and a very joyful faith 
really very joyful faith. Um, it was just like beginning anew. And for us, for me especially, because I was tasked to be a vocation director there, to see young women uh, who really had our vocation on another continent just blew me away. Like, wow, this young woman understands Mother Foundress. She has been given our vocation from her baptism, and God was just waiting for us to come. Wow. That just really... Did some join the order? From, yeah, oh, yeah. yes, yeah. Uh, so when I was there, we had our first group came, entered. We had eight Four persevered. So of that first group that I was their postulant and uh, a little bit of their novice director, then I was taken. I was sent home because of my health. Uh, four of them persevered. So next year, those four will be celebrating their silver jubilee. <laughs> oh, my Amazing. goodness. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> and so when I've gone back, it's the first time I went back, especially when I went back as general superior as in 2017, to see these young sisters and know that God used you. Yes. You know, to plant the seed. Sister, uh, was, I can't imagine what that feels like for you. It was really something to just sit in the chapel and and at that point be mother, uh, which you, whoever would have thought, you know. You're tear-filled right now because <laughs> of it. You truly are a life worth living without question. Amen. That's you've given yourself to God and to others exactly what Jesus asked us to do and to love. I mean that's that mother. It's how do you? Yeah, it's a, it's a it's amazing to hear your story and thank you so much again for coming and, and sharing and, and sharing um, your story with us. I'm curious, what is your view now of your vocation? Looking back, as you talked a little bit in the beginning about what it was like to join. Now you've been doing it for. Almost fifty. Years. Almost fifty years. Well, how do, how do you twenty twenty five? You're invited to my my. All right, we're there. We're the call is going to be there. Remote, <laughs> record it, <laughs> document it. What is your view, looking in the rearview mirror, about how you've chosen to live your life to this point? You know, I would have to say, it's all God's work. Mm. It's not mine because I know my weaknesses. I know where I failed miserably, um, but God was always faithful, always faithful to me. Um, when I was getting ready to make my first profession, my postulant director was then, at that point, she had been elected the general superior, and I was scared to death. And she looked at me and she said, fidelity is remembering. Remember, Always remember what Jesus has done for you and you'll be faithful. And now that's what I tell the sisters. Fidelity is remembering. Because it's not about me. It's not about what I've done because I'm the weakest of the weak, like St. Paul says, but it's all what God has done. Mm-hmm. It's all his fidelity, his grace. And that's what's the most important thing in all these 40-whatever years it is. Uh, it's been God's work, not mine. He's kept me. I haven't kept myself. Yeah. Mm. I know the Holy Spirit's present because I've gotten chills several (laughs) times during this, and I just teared up a little just now, Mother, Mm. thinking about your life. Because you think of your marriage, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. 
You said there were 10 rocky years, Mm -hmm. but who kept you faithful? It was God. Mm -hmm. It was his grace. For any one of us, Andrew, I'm not sure what you're... I'm at the moment consecrated single, I guess you would call it. (laughs) But after 40-some years, he converted to Catholicism. So in all those 40 years, it was God that was pursuing you, and he was faithful to what he knew he wanted for your life. Maybe you didn't know, but he was faithful. He was giving you the grace. It's only by the grace of God that any one of us is here today. That's 100%. So what would you, sister, what would, I mean, mother, what would you say to a young woman if she was ever going to listen to this podcast and she had the inklings of a calling, a sort of stirring in her soul? Would you have any thoughts for her or Yeah, follow for the her? stirring, first mm. of all. Follow the stirring. Mm. You know, that's what I, I was interv- I, I was listening, I was speaking with a young woman the other night uh, who's discerning and she said what made her begin to move was because she felt something you know Mm. when you feel that something that's that not that we base our life on feelings but god has to get us somehow Mm -hmm. and he gets us through those human feelings you know that's why he gave them to us so when there's a feeling there pursue it and pursue god you know ask him okay what he'll show excuse me he'll show you you know in these last five and a half years that I've been general superior, um, honestly, I've come to understand God's Holy Spirit and grace in a way never before. Never before. Um, they say that's the grace of the office, but I think no matter what it is God's calling you, he gives you the grace. So it's there just to follow it and follow him and trust him and just move follow pray really pray you know immerse yourself in god go to adoration go to mass uh, pray the rosary because our lady is the one that really brings us to jesus you know um those are the things i would say mm-hmm. so father beadricky said that one i think either when we had him on the show or before we said god doesn't call the equipped he equips, equips the, the called, called. Mm-hmm. i love that distinction mm-hmm. i think that's really interesting mm-hmm. That's a, a powerful, powerful message to, to a young woman. Yeah. Oh, so powerful and simple. Simplistic and powerful. Mm-hmm. Adoration. Holy hour. Rosary. Mm-hmm. Let her bring you to her son. Like, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Um, Mother, when you go into families, is there anything specifically you're trying to get done with families right now? I know bringing them back is something you said. You know, mm-hmm. holding their hand if you need to, and walking them back mm-hmm. to confession, mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. to the sacraments. Mm-hmm. Yes, but yes. is there anything specifically that you? Well, obviously, there's uh, the reason I'm asking is there's such an attack right now, as Pope John Paul II indicated, Mother Teresa, on marriage and on the family right now. Um, mm-hmm. Is so is is there anything you're trying to, to you know, to specifically I, do or well, myself, you know. I, and the order uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to really restore family life mm. what are ways we can restore i think that uh, for us our mother founders always said go to the persons face to face heart to heart go as a friend and i think the the deeper we live our own vocation to be their friend um we were just talking about this yesterday with a priest. You know, what are you going to do down the line when you start going on visitation and you meet um marriages that shouldn't be marriages uh 
what are you going to do? We have to really think about that. And I said to them, well, we have to speak the truth in love, but we also have to love them. Mm. We have to be a friend to them because you have to first be their friend yes. for them to listen to you. So our foundress was always big on being their friend because Relationship Jesus is their first. friend. Yeah. yeah. Like that episode mm. in The Chosen <laughs> where Philip asked Jesus permission to stop and see his friend in Caesarea Philippi. He's, and he says, oh, but, and Jesus says to him, if we didn't, you know, take care of our friends. I don't remember the whole quote, yes. but he's telling him the importance of friendship. You're giving you know? me chills again. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. And I think when we're the friend to the family and they allow us in and they allow us to become part of their family, then we can help restore family life. Yes. We can introduce them to Catholic family living. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think that's where it is. I agree. Yeah, I agree. We see that in the pro-life community right now because mm-hmm. it's so volatile out there right now, sister. Mother, sorry. Mother. It's okay. Mother, Mother. sister. <laughs> um, that, and Andrew knows he's out on the front lines a lot praying, and it's mm-hmm. like they're, they're not our enemies. They're not. I know they're acting like it right now, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and they're on the other side, but they're not. God made them too, and he's in there also, and we need to figure out how to... Mm-hmm. To restore them and bring mm-hmm. them back, mm-hmm. also. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. just... I always see that as the, the when I um, pray out in front of clinics and I see the anger that comes. To me, it always seems as though that there's um, that it's that it's their conscience mm-hmm. that they know somehow mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. this to, to kill a child, for example, in the in the in the life cause. Mm-hmm. That they know what's happening. Mean, we all we can't ignore. We can't not know. That's right. And they want to not know because they want the freedom to do what sort of want. do what they want. Mm-hmm. But they can't help but know. And that's mm-hmm. where the it seems to me that's where the anger is. Mm-hmm. So, even um, think about the movie Unplanned. Mm, okay, think Abby about Johnson. that movie. So in the movie they portray it so beautifully. How. Um, I don't remember their names, but the pro-lifers were at the gate, at the fence, praying. Mm. How did they befriend Abby so that when she had that conversion, and re- where did she run to? She ran to them. Mm-hmm. Right. You know? So that that's its relationship. Look at yeah. Jesus. It was all about relationship. Yeah. It's so interesting yeah, because at, the, the, sinners, not the, at the clinic, yeah. it's very interesting there's we're we're standing outside the clinic on the pro life side, and then they have these escorts on the other side. And interestingly, the rule that they have for their escorts is that they're not allowed to interact with us. They're mm-hmm. spe- like you can come up to them on the street and talk to them, but if we're on the pro life side, they are not allowed to form a relationship mm-hmm. with us. Mm-hmm. They're not. We we can talk to them, and they'll be like the those English you know guys oh, standing outside. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very mm-hmm. interesting. So they're they're they. They're actually, it's, it's kind of an interesting organizationally, interesting, right? Trying right, they're trying to like, they like, what if? Interesting. Gosh, Andrew. what if they were to experience the love of a Christian? Help, you know, you know, That's sort right. of offering mm-hmm. yeah. a relationship. What if that would crack through their? 
I go mm-hmm. off. So it has head. to be a rule. It has to be a rule. There can be no relationship. Mm. There can be no possibility of that love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So we still pray for them and we still talk That's to them, right. but they will not talk back. That's right. Very interesting. And even when you're on visitation, there are times when people don't want us or they'll close the door in our faces. And, mm, you know, but um, it's that relationship we want to build. And mm. so go back another time. Maybe they'll be a little less hostile. Pray for them and come back, Mm -hmm. you know. With a fresh approach like you do, go back, refill the the tank, Mm -hmm. make the, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. let the contemplative join with the, when you put your hands together before, you said contemplative Mm -hmm. has to join with. The missionary. The missionary, Mm -hmm. yeah, together, Mm -hmm. yes. We have to go back and refill before we are either out at a, uh, a Planned Parenthood or an abortion clinic or even mm-hmm. within our own families mm-hmm. or friends. Mm-hmm. It's so powerful. And the power, the power, I think, interesting to me about religious life is the community aspect. And it's so countercultural today mm-hmm. because we're so um, atomized. We're all in our little bubbles, you know, sort of separated. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. religious life is a radical alternative to that. And I would argue a more humane and better appreciates what it is to be human. So when I go, for example, to the to just share silence and prayer with the Sisters of Life, I'm so edified by that mm-hmm. experience mm-hmm. for an hour. They're there all day. I'm mm-hmm. there for an hour, and I mm-hmm. walk out of there just on fire and just something about people. And we try to do with these with these podcasts. We try to do it in person mm-hmm. so that there's a community aspect. There's a reality to because as you know, the, the Catholic faith is incarnational that's faith. Right. It's a human faith. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, I think that's a, a feature of the religious life that is very interesting to me. And it seems to, as, as you were mentioning it, this, you were interested in the contemplative piece. It had to mix with the active communal life. And I just think that that's really, it's really special and really beautiful, a really beautiful aspect of the way that you live. It is. It's like family life. Yeah, well, it, it's that, but it's a bigger family. It's you a have a hundred people in your family. Yeah. Not many, maybe. Not bad for a brand new Catholic over here, <laughs> <Yeah>. my mother. <laughs> no, he's great. I'm and a researcher. That, yeah, I got to meet him uh, as he was, you know, starting that the the real journey in mm-hmm. you know in mm-hmm. the. Um, uh, the process, and I said, "My gosh, you're more Catholic than ninety percent of Catholics." <laughs> <I know." laughs> but still, I when I was, as I was telling Pete this, when I was um, right before we had an episode on our other podcast, the Men for Life show, about when I was about to become a Catholic, I was having when I would go up in front of the altar, I would have panic attacks right before. I was sort of there was a huge demonic effort. To not get me to join mm-hmm. the church, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. similar to what you were talking about mm-hmm. before your final. It's like, it's like, really, do you want to do this? You're submitting to all these rules, and mm-hmm. there was mm-hmm. so much freedom before. Okay, so we ended up in darkness and misery. But come on, we <laughs> like we maybe we just did, we could have gone a little more left, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Interesting, you would say that too, because even our founder said about our community. She said the devil hates our community yes. because we're going into his territory to take souls away from him and bring them to Christ. Right. And right. she said where the where God builds a church, the devil builds a chapel. Mm-hmm. Because he so wants to destroy what God is doing 
through us mm-hmm. and well, through the church by extension. Yes. Mother, yeah, it's so, so wonderful. Uh, well, um, to be sensitive for your time, maybe we, and we are going to have people come in here pretty soon, so maybe we could sort of land the ship and perhaps you would, um, uh, I don't know if you have any final thoughts or any, any message to anybody, if there's another message that you have, doesn't have to be, to anybody that might be discerning a religious life. Um, and if not, then, or after that, maybe uh, end us in prayer. And again, thank you so much for, for coming by. It was really mm. wonderful. And um, it was a great, great, great conversation. Thank you. It was wonderful. It's a privilege, really, to meet you both and to be with you and to be able to speak God's work and mm. work. Amen. That's you. the goal. For us too, Mother. And um, before we wrap up, I wanted to say, just to comment on something before, is that um, you had said, I mean, there's people that haven't been to confession in 40 or 50 years, but we know inside we want to, and it might take someone like you coming along. And you gave me a beautiful image in my head. We were at our daughter's um, first penance, and then all the families can go and make their you know, confession after while all mm-hmm. the priests are there. I got to witness my mom and dad on their knees at the altar together simultaneously. So here I am, like 40-some years old. I had never seen that before. I took my phone out quickly and took a picture. To see my own parents on mm. their knees making mm. a confession was mm. like, it's not that they hadn't been in 40 years, but right. like I had never captured that. Had that experience. Oh, mm. be- like, mm. So the thought of you doing that and restoring that in family life... Yeah, it was, believe me, mm-hmm. a privilege to have you with us. And thank Praise you. God. Yeah, thank you. Um, I just wanted to read something from the, um, the new Italian prime minister. One of the things that she said the other day, and she's actually being silenced and censored by the Internet and YouTube and all that, of course, because that's the world we live in. But mm-hmm. she said, we will defend the value of the human being because each of us has a unique genetic code that is unrepeatable. <gasps> and like it or not, that is sacred and we will defend it. Oh my mm-hmm. goodness. Yes. <laughs> Georgia she's a, Maloney. Yeah, she's oh an amazing. Goodness. What's her name? Georgia Maloney. Um, yeah, Pete, you got to send mother the, the speech she gave. It sort of blew up the internet because it was... Basically, it went pretty way. much viral yeah. everywhere. It and, oh yeah, Amazing. it's beautiful. So, if you don't mind, we'll um, yeah, we'll let you please close us in prayer. Okay, sure. Thank you, Mother. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your presence among us today and within us. We thank you for the calls that you have given to each one of us. The call to love you and to make you greatly loved. May we do that in our everyday life with every person we meet. And for all those who are listening, we ask you to pour out your grace upon them, that if you are calling them to the priesthood or consecrated religious life, they will, with Mary, walk with you that way, will follow where you lead in trust and in fidelity to your grace and your call. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mother. Thank you, Mother. The call signing out.